Where are we? We're in our Christmas series called Light of the World. It is one more week to go. Christmas is upon us. Some of you guys are on leave, right? And you are super relaxed and you're just chilled and you're so calm. Others of us are frantically trying to get ourselves ready for that day, right? I don't know where you are on that spectrum. I'm aware that this time of year can feel often both spacious as well as busy, you know? The, it's happy and yet stressful at the same time. We've got the frustration of long queues and long stop streets, right? All the time, and I'm sure you're feeling it as well, right? But hopefully the space in our lives to take a walk on the beach in Nurtuk or Fishhook or Simonstown and enjoy the wonder of where we live in the evenings, hey? Maybe eat dinner early and walk on the beach. Kids... There is the excitement of what might be waiting under the Christmas tree, right? I mean, that's super exciting. Hey, just a quick shout out as well. Jonah in the back there, why don't you give us a wave? Happy birthday today, my boy. Hey? Happy birthday, Jonah. There we are. So excited to be baptizing Jonah later on this morning after our meeting. Thrilled. Hey, if you're here today and you're, you're, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're in the, in the crowd today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you have picked a brilliant Sunday to come because this Sunday we're going to look at one of the most central and yet simultaneously incredible truths of the Christian faith. Moreover, today I suppose we're unpacking the real meaning of Christmas. This Advent journey we're on called Light of the World, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're departing from the normal Christmas narratives of the Scriptures, those written by Matthew and Luke, and we're looking at John's way of telling the Christmas story. You remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospel accounts, Matthew and Luke have the kind of more narrative story, one with shepherds and angels and mangers and singing and all of that, you know, wonderful stuff. John's a little bit different in the narrative that he paints of Jesus' coming. John uses really theology. John uses terms that carry a weight of meaning. And what we're doing in this Advent run-up um, this year is we're looking at some of the terms that John uses to describe what happened in that very first Christmas and see what they mean for our lives. And so we're going to read from John chapter 1, some excerpts there, and see if you can spot some of these loaded terms that John's using as we go. This one, you've got to, you've got to just shake a little bit as you, uh, you look at it to, go, to be in sync with it. Okay. Here we go, John chapter 1, I'll read from here. In the beginning was the capital W, Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, with God and was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him not anything made that was made. Jumping to verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of God, so Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, this is speaking of John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, only, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at your word, we ask today that you would speak to us of who Jesus is 
and what Jesus did and how we can live in light of that. I pray for those of us, if you're here today, you're not yet a Christ follower, you pray this prayer, God, if you're real, would you speak to me today? I'm curious, I want to know more. Amen. Okay, so key verse for the day. We're reading from John chapter 1. We're looking at excerpts. We're looking at phrases in particular that John uses to describe Jesus. We're looking at one next week, Sunday, as well as we gather. This week, our key verse for the day is the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's one of the most outrageous stories or statements, sorry, that has been made in history. The Word, capital W, became flesh and dwelt among us. It's our big idea for our message today. At Christmas, we remember that God became flesh and dwelt among us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I've heard this before. We've had many Christmases. I've heard this before. God came and dwelt among us. Yeah, yeah. No, no, just stop and think about it. It's a scandalous statement. It's ridiculous. God became human and dwelt among us. Take a look at the way John kind of explains this to us. He, he, what, does he, what does he mean by the word word with a capital W? What's going on here? Let's read verse 1 to 3 together. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Was with God and was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him uh, was not anything made that was made. John describes Jesus as the Word. He's speaking about Jesus here, and he double-clicks what he means when he says Word. He says the Word was there in the beginning. Have you heard that phrase before somewhere in the Bible? In the beginning. What John is doing is John is riffing on Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now John is pulling that language, and he's saying the Word was there in the beginning. John wants us to know that Jesus was there in in. In creation, Jesus was there before the world began. John is saying, in theological ways, Jesus is eternal. He was there at creation. He also says here, he was with God, and yet he was God. Think about those two statements together. He was with God, which means he's distinct from God. He's distinct from God, and yet he was also simultaneously God too. So he, he was with the Father, but he, he, yet he's God himself, but he's not the Father. It, it, it's the first we're starting to see in the New Testament here of the, the Trinity being revealed. What was Jesus doing at the creation of the universe? It says all of creation was made through him. Not a thing was created that was not created through him. He was responsible for the creation of all things. What's John said to us? He said, Jesus is eternal. He's not the same as the Father, yet he is in and of himself also God. And he was present and responsible for the making of all things. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the eternal creator of all things. A lot of big concepts, right? And you're on holiday, and I know I'm stretching your brain. So let's try and... Um, Wrap our brains around what this means. What does the creator of all things really mean? Think about this. With the improvement of modern technology, we've seen telescopes in the last uh, few decades just come on in leaps and bounds, right? So better and better telescopes, enabling scientists to observe the universe in ways that we hadn't yet been able to observe it. One of the things we've learned about the universe um, is 
follow, follow me here. If you had unlimited perfect vision, and you took a needle, a sewing needle in your hand, right? And you held up the needle in the night sky. You went out maybe somewhere to the Karoo on a perfect night where there was no lights around. And you've got your perfect vision and you've got your sewing needle. And you hold it up and you close one eye at arm's length away. And you look through the eye of the needle with perfect vision. You would be able to see through the eye of the needle at arm's length 10,000 galaxies. Not solar systems. 10,000 galaxies. And then, catch this, you just did this, little smidgen to the left, 10,000 more. The universe is vast. It's greater than our brains are able to imagine. And yet John says to us, Christ was there. He was the maker of all things, the originator of it all. John starts by giving us an idea of who Jesus is. But then John transitions into telling us what Jesus came to do. Let's look. We know who he is now. He's the creator of all things. Let's have a look at what John tells us he did. Verse 14. And the word, this one we've just heard of, became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Sometimes as Christians, we, we hear these things so often. Every Christmas comes by and, uh, and we hear it and it gets familiar. And the scandal of it all is lost on us. It becomes a little bit pedestrian, if you will. The literal translation of this Bible verse goes like this. The word became flesh and tabernacled. Among us. Now, tabernacle is not a word that you use all the time. You probably haven't typed it into WhatsApp in a very, very long time. Tabernacle is not familiar to us, but it's very familiar to John's audience. They knew exactly what John was meaning when he used the word tabernacle. It literally means this to pitch your tent among us. The word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. God came to camp in our midst. You've got to go back to the Old Testament to understand this word tabernacle. If you're familiar with the Bible, think with me to the story of Exodus. God's people have just left Egypt, and now they're on a journey through the desert to the promised land. And God gives them instructions on how to build what is called a tabernacle, a tent of meeting, if you will. It's, it's the... the it's a structure, a tent, that would house the presence of God. And this is how God would be with His people as they wandered through the desert towards the promised land. As Moses would go and meet in the tent of meeting with God, he would go and tabernacle with God. He would meet with Him as he went in prayer. In the most literal sense, John is saying, God pitched His tent and presenced himself within it so that he could be with his people. We've just finished our Eternal Beings in a Temporary World series. I don't know if you remember one of the verses we read when we spoke of the new heavens and the new earth, when Christ returns and restores everything, heaven and earth united together once again. And here's this phrase. In fact, Ashley was quoting it today as he shared in part. Um, Revelation 21 verse 3 says this, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people. The literal translation of this, Behold, the dwelling, the tent of God is with men. He will pitch his tent, literal translation, with them and they shall be his people. 
John is saying that God has chosen to dwell amongst his people. In the most personal way imaginable, God took on flesh. Jesus, in Jesus, God came to physically dwell with us. Before that, God had made himself known to his people in general terms, through the, through the law, through prophecy, through God giving his wisdom, through, through God acting in saving acts, delivering people, bringing judgment, mercy. All these things reveal what God is like, but, but in part, in part, in part, in a blurry way, through the law, through the wisdom, through this deed that he does, through judgment, through mercy. All of these things reveal almost little snippets or facets of who God is, but when God literally took on flesh, it was the greatest act of self-disclosure the world could ever know. Jesus, in Jesus, God literally put on skin and became one of us so that we could see what God is truly like. Pitching a tent speaks of what God is like. John Piper, speaking of this passage, he says this, if you come into a community and you build a huge palace with a wall around it, it says one thing about your desires to be with people. I had the privilege of being in Dubai not so long ago, and I drove past with my brother-in-law and sister-in-law a palace of one of the princes. It is 100% clear that no one is getting into that thing and no one is getting out of that thing. In fact, she told me the story of a daughter of this prince who escaped and, and, and literally after a few hours, they found her and brought her back into the compound, right? It tells you something about the nature of the person who has built this palace. If you come into a community and you build a large palace with a wall around it, it says one thing about your desires to be with the people. But if you pitch a tent in my backyard, you'll probably use my bathroom and eat often at my table. This is why God became human. He came to pitch a tent in our human backyard so that we would have a lot of dealings with him. Christ moved in to the world to reveal God to us. At Christmas, we remember that God came near to us and he tabernacled with us. This is a self-disclosure in a level that, I mean, it's unimaginable. God would become a human being. God stooped down in humanity to become human. Why? Among other things, that we would be able to see what God is truly like. He wants us to see what He's really like. He wants to be seen by us. Now just stop and think about it for a second. Not a thing in all creation was made without Him. He is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. And He takes on flesh and becomes a human being. It's what we call the incarnation. To this day, it remains the greatest obstacle for Jews and Muslims in coming to faith in Christ. Many people think people struggle to believe in God because of the resurrection, what happened at Easter. Or the crucifixion. No, but the biggest struggle that people have with Christianity is not the crucifixion or the resurrection, but it's the incarnation. It's God becoming flesh and blood, a human being. God who is spirit taking on a body. God who is perfectly holy becoming incredibly humble. It's the omnipotent God of the universe limiting himself to become a human being like you and me. 
And so often we just take this for granted at Christmas, but just stop and wrap your brain around it for a second. Surely this is the greatest miracle of all history, isn't it? All the other miracles that Jesus did only make sense if this one is true. It is because God himself became human and dwelt among us that when Jesus spoke to the storm, the wind and the waves were quiet. It is because God dwelt among us that when when Jesus died on the cross, he was resurrected back to life. It is because of the power of the miracle of Christmas that Easter is even possible. And those who struggle to believe the Easter story of the resurrection struggle simply because they fail to grasp the the wonder of the miracle of Christmas. That those probably three kilograms of oxygen, hydrogen, nitrogen, carbon, calcium, and phosphorus somehow became a vessel for holding the creator of the universe. It is staggering. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. If this is true, what then? A few things. If this is true, I think we should believe him more today. I think we should believe him more today. I know there are some here today who struggle to believe that God can still do miracles today. That God could heal someone through our prayers and through our faith. Or that God could speak to us today still and give us direction for our lives. Come on, these things are easy to believe when compared to the miracle that we all believe at Christmas. Andrew Wilson in his book, Incomparable, if you haven't read it, I'll put it to you as great Christmas reading, uh, short excerpts that you can read and not long concentration time, uh, just revealing the nature of God and what He's like. You could get it on Kindle, um, just a great book to read. In his book, Incomparable, he says this, he says, being a Christian and struggling to believe that God can still do miracles today is a bit like chasing your pet hamster out of the living room while you ignore the elephant sitting on the sofa. If you believe that God incarnated into, uh, into flesh and became a human being, man, you can trust God for greater things in your life now, today, right? Surely when you believe God became a human being, everything else flows and is secondary from that. Of course Jesus healed the sick. Of course Jesus calmed the storm. Of course he can still intervene in our lives today. This God is intimately connected to the human experience. He literally walked in our shoes. If this is true, if God became flesh and dwelt among us, then then in becoming flesh, surely Jesus distinguished himself from all others claiming the title of God. Christ steps down off the throne into the finite experience of the very creatures that he created. What kind of God does that? In doing so, he shows us that he's not only the most awesomely powerful being in the universe, the creator of all things, he's also the most incredibly loving being as well. We sang that song, Ty, you sang it today, you sang, uh, what, a, uh, what a wonderful maker with the heart of a father. He's not just great maker of all things. Uh, he's, he's not just great, he's also loving and kind and good. He's the, he's the most perfect Savior that we as human beings could ever hope for. He's a Savior who understands the human experience unlike any other 
deity claiming that title. He was born of a woman. He knew childhood. He knew becoming a teenager. He grew in wisdom. He, he grew in stature into manhood. He knew, he knew what it was to feel hunger and thirst, to eat and to drink and to grow weary and to get sleepy. He felt pain. He felt loss. He knew times of rejoicing. He understands you because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's why He can be trusted. It's why He can be trusted. He can sympathize with our struggles. If you are lonely this Christmas, if your Christmas has been shaped because you are battling with an ailment, or you are hurting, or you are reeling from loss, I want you to know because the Word became flesh, there is no temptation or frustration that you could face that you cannot bring to Christ and know that He understands because He became one of us, He can be trusted. And lastly, it's why He can be followed. We see in Jesus the, the perfect example. Now, we're imperfect, but we see in Jesus the perfect example for the Christian life. Jesus came, among other things, to redeem humanity and in part, that means by showing us the potential that rests in us as human beings. He came to, to, to illuminate the path to living a godly life. Jesus shows us what's possible in our humanity. But, but here's the thing, and it's a big but. You need to hear this. You can only follow Jesus as your example if you first receive him as your Savior. Similarly to the way Christ steps into the world in the incarnation, He sends His Spirit to indwell us, to infill us, that God would literally take up residency within us. Through the Spirit's power, Christ transforms our hearts. He renews us on the inside. He forgives us our sins. He purifies our hearts. And then He empowers us to live lives in His glorious Ways Through the Spirit, God literally tabernacles within us, empowering us as human beings to live in His ways and in His wisdom. It's such a beautiful thing that Ashley shared with us today. He highlighted the faithfulness of God. God is so faithful. Therefore, He responded in His his faithfulness as well. It's the faithfulness of God that then inspires in us faithfulness as human beings as well. You can follow God because as you look at Christ and you experience what Christ has done, you respond to His example, God's faithfulness. You respond with your faithfulness as a follower of Christ. We're going to see that in a moment at the end of our meeting today as a few people are going to be baptized today. Jonah among them, Hank and Linda as well, and, and, and my son Ben as well uh, are going to be baptized today. And, uh, and what, what's happening in baptism is baptism is you're going under the water. You're symbolically saying, I'm dying to myself. Remember, today, water is like, water is fun. We cool off. It's lovely. We love to swim. Back then, water was scary. We know like swimming events and things like that. It was a scary place. Water was for cleaning and for washing. It washes away our sins. You're, you're going under the water. You're dying to yourself. But then the good news is, guys, you come back out of the water. Hey? 
That, that's, that's, the, that's the big thing. We come out of the water and we're living, saying, I've died to myself. I'm now coming out of the water. I'm living for Christ. I, I want to live a life as a follower of Jesus, where if you look at me through my life, you should see something of Christ as I follow him in visible ways through my life. Because Christ, the Word became flesh, He showed us what it means to be human beings again. And then He indwells us, transforming our hearts, empowering our lives, that we can follow in His example. Let's put this all together. Christmas time is a time where we celebrate and we remember and we appropriate the extraordinary truth that the eternal Creator God of the universe squeezed into the feeble frame of a human being to be close to us so that we could see what he's really like and then we could respond having seen him following him in his wake can i pray for us and invite the band to lead us christ is an extraordinary thought 10,000 galaxies in the eye of a needle and then 10,000 more and 10,000 more. You made them all. That you would humble yourself and take on flesh and live amongst us. It's just, it's mind-blowing, Lord. You didn't need to, but you chose to. And in so doing, you revealed God to us in ways that we could never have seen any other way, Jesus. We're so grateful this Christmas for your humility, for your love, for your servant-heartedness, your goodness, Christ. In creation, we marvel at your greatness, but in the incarnation, we marvel at your goodness, Lord, and your grace to us, that you would condescend to us by becoming a human being, taking on flesh. I want to pray first for those of us today who maybe you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. But this thought that there would be a God who would lay aside his glory and become a human being. Risk it all. It's just, it's worth exploring. If that's you, I want to invite you to pray a prayer. And you, you pray this prayer. You say, God, this Christmas. It's, it's just, it's staggering. I, everything in my heart would look after myself. And yet you, who had everything, who made everything, you gave it all up for us. Even though I was far from you, you became flesh and blood so that I could know you more. God, I want to know you more. I want to begin a journey whereby, Lord, would you teach me of who you are? If you would do such a great thing as to become a human being, I'm going to ask, Lord, that you would teach me more of what you're like so that I could know you more. Jesus says, I do, would you open my eyes to see, to see you? Because I want to know the kind of God that would take on flesh 
and reveal himself in that way, Lord. And then to those of us who are Christ followers, Jesus in a world that is becoming more and more obsessed with itself was so brilliant to sing over and over again, I will worship you. My eyes come off myself, my wants, my needs, my desires, my hopes, following my heart. And we freshly as Christ followers remember that we follow you now, Jesus. Thank you for your words to those first disciples. Come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus, we're freshly signing up this Christmas to follow you, Jesus. You reveal to us your faithfulness. You reveal to us what God is really like. And now we respond by following you, Christ. Pray for those who maybe been away from God for some time. And, and today you, you, you just want to say, God, I want to come back. I want to come back. I want to follow you. I want to follow you with my life. I pray, Lord Jesus, for us this season who remain in the city of Cape Town, would you en enable us to, just like you did, stepping into the world of brokenness and revealing your grace and truth, would you use us as Christ followers, as we in the midst of this community would be able to bring and reveal grace and truth to others as well. Thank you, Christ.